Hey, good morning. Great to see you and uh, great to see those of you online. My name is Luke Simmons. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm part of our preaching team. And uh, yeah, it's really good to be together. And uh, just want to make sure you know one other, one other thing that is pretty important as it relates to next week is next week, we're actually moving to three service times. We've been really encouraged uh, by how many of you have wanted to join us in line. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, there's also been a significant number of people, uh, especially those of you watching online, who would say, I would love to come, but it just, I kind of look around, and I don't see everyone wearing a mask, and I, just based on my health or the people I'm caring for's health, I just, I really want to be extra protective of that. And so what we're going to do is have an 8 o'clock service that will be kind of a strictly mass-required service. Other than when we take communion and whoever's preaching or singing, everyone will be masked uh, for the entirety of that time, really first grade and up. So um, that's what the 8 o'clock service is going to look like. Next week, we aren't going to be able to have kids ministry, but the following week, we think we should be ready to be able to have kids ministry that first weekend of October at the 8 o'clock service. Uh, then there's also going to be services at 9.30 and 11, and those will be mass optional, and uh, we'd love you to just do whatever you kind of feel uh, is best for you, for your family, for those around you, and uh, we, we, that, we'll just move forward with that. So 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11, and uh, I'm just really thankful for how many of you uh, want to gather and want to be here, and it's, uh, it's really a great thing. And for those of you who want to be here and still feel like you can't, you just got to know we really do miss you. And uh, maybe some of you will join us, and, and some of you will continue to watch us online. We will have the live stream at 9.30 and at 11. Well, we're continuing in our series in the Gospel of John. You heard all about King Jesus. King Jesus is kind of this prayer initiative that's going to be running in the background as we continue to focus on Jesus. And what we've been looking at in the Gospel of John is who Jesus is. We've been discovering and deepening our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, who is Christ is kind of the question of this. Who is Jesus? And so uh, one of Jesus' followers, John, wrote this brilliant, expertly crafted document. I think of the, of the Gospel of John really a lot like a documentary. Um, I, I know I mentioned this a number of weeks ago. Uh, I, I'm kind of more into documentaries than I used to be. There's way too many on Netflix. I can't, I can't keep track of all of it. Um, but one that I love right now is Chef's Table Barbecue. If you like barbecue, you should maybe not watch it because it that'll be the only thing you want to eat. It is like, what they do is they, they profile these four people who have just mastered the art of cooking with fire. And so it's like these expert food craftsmen. And then the, the, the beauty and the, and the editing, I mean, it's just, it is gorgeously shot. Like, it's just a beautiful thing to watch. These people cook pig. And it's just really awesome. And so I kind of think like with the, with the kind of attention to detail and craftsmanship and beauty that these filmmakers are trying to present, you know, brisket, uh, John is saying, I have something even better to present to you. I, I want to present to you Jesus. I want you to believe in him. I want you to have life in his name. That's what he tells us is the reason for writing this book. And part of the craftsmanship of John that's really intriguing is that John fills up this book with a number of different sevens. Maybe you've heard the idea that, God is, that, that seven is God's number, right? Seven is this number that represents completion or wholeness. And so in the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation, which John wrote, also has this. There's lots of seven different things. There's seven disciples named in the Gospel of John. There's seven uh, times when someone specifically is offering testimony or witness about Jesus. There's seven I am statements of Jesus where he says, I am the bread of life, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am, I am, I am. There's seven signs in the book. 
And what we have here in chapter one that's just interesting, this isn't the main point of this text, but I want you to see it, is seven titles of Jesus. Just here in this passage, seven titles of Jesus. Here you go, just here's the list. Jesus here is called the Lamb of God, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, Rabbi, Son of God, King of Israel, Son of Man. Seven different titles to describe Jesus. Now, here's, here's what's cool. Tim uh, Mackey from the, the Bible Project, he uh, kind of summarized this up, and he said this. Here, here's how you describe it. The fully human Jesus from Nazareth is the messianic king and teacher of Israel and the son of God who will die for the sins of the world. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the fully human Jesus from Nazareth. He's the messianic king. He's the teacher of Israel. He's the son of God who will die for the sins of the world. That's who Jesus is. And today, what we're going to look at are these five life-changing opportunities that Jesus gives us. Now, I want you to just think for a moment, if I, if I called you up or sent you an email and said, hey, I'd really love for you to come over because I'd like to discuss a life-changing opportunity. How would you, would you be like super excited to come over? I mean, maybe if you really trusted me, but if you got that email, you'd be like, I don't know, man. Because I've, I've been like pulling off the freeway and I've seen the signs that say life-changing opportunity, work from home. <laughs> My guess is most of you haven't called that number. Maybe you did, right? Maybe you've had someone who you haven't heard from in 20 years who all of a sudden has a life-changing opportunity for you, right? You hear the idea life-changing opportunity and most of us are just suspicious and cynical enough to go, is this a timeshare? Is this a pyramid scheme? What do you mean life-changing opportunity? Because these, these things that are billed and sold as life-changing opportunities, they, they always over-promise and they under-deliver, don't they? They always over-tell you how great it's going to be and it never quite comes through. But, but here's the thing, what if Jesus, the Son of God, what if he said, I've got some life-changing opportunities for you? And what if he could actually come through with it? And what we're going to see today in this passage, as Jesus is beginning to interact with his first disciples, is there's actually five statements that Jesus makes. Uh, some of them are formed as statements, some are as a question, but each of these are like an opportunity that Jesus is giving to these early followers, and by extension, to us. What's beautiful about these, these as well is these are not just one-time offers. These are things that Jesus is constantly and continually re-inviting us into. Five life-changing opportunities from Jesus. He's continually offering them. That's what we're going to look at here in this passage. Let's pray, and we'll dive into what they are. Father, we invite you now to come and to speak by your word. God, help us to hear the voice of Jesus, to hear the invitations of Jesus. Wherever we are, for those who are just kicking the tires on, on Jesus, who've never really even been to church before, God, would you speak to them? God, for those who've been your followers for longer than I've been alive, would you speak to them? And everyone in between, God, let us hear your voice, we pray in Christ's name, amen. So beginning in verse 35, it says this, the next day, again, John, that's uh, John the Baptist, John the baptizer, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. You see, people were following John around, they were listening to him teach, they were seeing him baptize, and John says this to his disciples, he looked at at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. 
The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? Some people, that's all it takes. You just got to hear the gospel once. Most of us, we got to hear it a bunch of times. But these guys just hear it once, and they begin to follow Jesus. It says in verse 38, and here's the first life-changing opportunity. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? You know, most of us who are parents or grandparents, if we have the opportunity to be with our kids or grandkids when they say their first words, we remember it. Right, the first words of a human being are, are a big deal, right? And uh, my kids, it was either dada, of course it was, right? Easier to say than mama, or, or ball, which is just as good, right? <laughs> dada or ball, those are just, just as good. And what's interesting, when you look at literature, and especially when you look at the Gospels, what you see is that actually the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is often very significant. And this is the first time we've actually heard Jesus speak. John's been writing, uh, the Apostle John has been writing about John the Baptist and about Jesus, and we've been seeing and hearing all these things about Christ. But for the first time, we hear him speak. And he says to these followers of John who are now following him, what are you seeking? They've been he- we've been hearing about Jesus, now we hear from Jesus. And this question, what are you seeking, it echoes beyond those first hearers of that sentence, and it ripples into the future and hits us, doesn't it? John, again, he's an expert craftsman, and he's inviting those who are wondering who Jesus is, who are reading this book, to consider the question, what are you seeking? What are you seeking as you read this? What are you seeking as you explore who Christ is? What are you seeking? The Lord is always asking us this question. What are you seeking? What are, what are you seeking? If we pause for a moment and go, what am I seeking? Not just in this moment, but if I were to look at my life, what does my life tell me that I'm seeking? See, everybody's seeking something. Everybody's living for something. Maybe you're seeking to be successful in a career. Maybe you're seeking to be a great parent and have a great family and have well-adjusted kids who don't hate you. It's a good goal. Maybe you're seeking to have a higher standard of living than you had growing up. Maybe you're seeking to pass on a higher standard of living to your kids than you've had. Maybe at root, what you're really seeking is romance. Maybe it's achievement, maybe it's status, maybe it's comfort, maybe it's beauty, maybe it's influence. What are you seeking, Jesus asks you. And this opportunity of Jesus is life-changing because it's clarifying, it's sobering. It's Jesus saying, hey, here's the map. You know, there's the you are here dot, where are you? Where are you? What are you seeking? What are you after? And God loves us so much, Jesus loves us so much that he's going to keep asking us this question. I sense the Lord asking me often, Luke, what are you seeking? And when I'm honest, I go, well, I'm seeking a return to normal. 
I'm seeking an easy, comfortable life that's not so stressful. I shouldn't have come to church today, that video. Whew. Are you anxious? Yeah, I am now. That's how I felt. At times I'm seeking to be well thought of. And at times I'm really seeking Jesus. And maybe you're like me and you're kind of this mixture of all these things you're seeking. And the Lord here is saying, I, I want you to seek me. But you're going to have a hard time seeking me until you first figure out what else you're seeking instead. What are you seeking? Well, the next life-changing opportunity is found in the next verse, verse 39. Right, they said, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. Again, this is a level of detail we never really hear about. Well, where was he staying? And what did they see when they saw it? And what, what, what exactly is this habitation? Is Jesus at his place? Is he at someone else's place? What's, what's, what's going on here? What's going on here is John is again giving you a statement of Jesus that is supposed to echo beyond these hearers. Come and you will see. If you want to seek Jesus, you have to come in order to see him. Notice this. It doesn't say see and then you'll come. It says, come and you will see. See, true knowledge of Jesus cannot be found at a distance. Uh, knowledge really of anything can't be found at a distance, right? Uh, Seth and I um, have been doing this, uh, we've recorded a couple episodes, we've only released one, it's called King and Culture, the King and Culture podcast. Um, we, we say we're trying to critique the hell out of culture which maybe that's too edgy for you or something, but it's basically going, hey, there's lots of hellishness about the culture, right? You eat a, a dessert and you're like, oh, that is heavenly. Well, there's lots of things that are hellish. And we feel like the scripture wants to lift up Jesus and critique the hellish things about our world. And so that's what we're trying to do. And in this first episode that we did, we're talking all about the knowledge of God. And one of the points Seth made is that you don't, you don't know how to play piano by reading a book on piano. That might help, might give you some helpful theory. Right, I, I was talking to my kids when, when they were, um, my, my older two are now in person, a lot of their classmates are still online, and I was like, what is, what's an online music class like? Hint, bad. <laughs> right, like you wanna, I mean, no one really ever gets to the point where they play recorder well. Like, there's a reason we don't have a recorder player up here on the band. It's just the best recorder players, it's still painful, right? But, but you don't get good at playing recorder by reading about recorder, by watching YouTube videos about recorder. You have to enter in. You have to come, and then you'll see. You have to get close enough to know. See, some of you, you feel like, you know what, I kind of want to know Jesus, but I'm not sure I trust him enough to actually really move toward him. If he really cared, he'd come find me. Jesus is saying, come, come and you'll see. You have to have some level of vulnerability, some level of initial steps of faith. I think a lot of people stand at a distance because they don't really want to see and yet Jesus is inviting us. 
Those of you who don't have faith, those of you who have had faith for a long time, come and you'll see. Get close to me and you'll see. This is why we are focusing so much as a church on seeing Jesus, coming close to him and seeing him. This is why we have over 200 students on Monday and Wednesday night combined going through a study on who the person of Jesus is, looking at how he had compassion, looking at how he was honest, looking at how he interacted with people. We've got to get near Jesus to see him. Come and you will see. When verse 40 says this, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. By this point, John's assuming, he's the last gospel writer, he assumes a lot of people have heard of Simon Peter, he was a big figure in the early church, so he just mentions him. It says, verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus and said, you are Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, and this is our third life-changing opportunity, is that Jesus will say to us as we follow him, you shall be called blank. Simon, Peter, was the son of John. That's how he would have been known, right? That's what Jesus says in verse 42. You're Simon, son of John. That's how he was known. But Jesus says, I'm going to call you Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock, Cephas is the Aramaic way to say it. Peter is the Greek way to say it. They both mean the same thing, which means rock. You shall be called the rock. I don't know if Jesus had seen him wrestle or... uh, I, I don't think that's actually what it is at all. But let me ask you, what defines you? What names you? What, what forms your identity? Who are you? And let me ask you this. Why as a people, why as a society, why are we so anxious? Now, I know sometimes when we talk about anxiety, there are, there are medical things, there are brain chemistry things happening. But there's a lot of people who aren't experiencing that who are still just anxiety levels rising. Why are we so anxious? Why are we so burdened? Why are we so unhappy? Why do our kids feel so much pressure? There's a movie that we saw as a student with the student ministry staff a number of years ago, and it's, it's a rated R movie, it's intense, but it's very real. It's called Eighth Grade. And uh, if you have middle schoolers, I mean, there's content in there you won't like and isn't godly and isn't good, but it's a very real look at what it feels like to be in eighth grade. There's a part in that movie where the, the, the character says, I feel like I'm always going up the roller coaster, but I never get to go down. Why? Why do our kids feel like that? Why do we feel like that? Why is our society so anxious and so fragile and so burdened and so heavy. I think one of the reasons might be, there's probably lots and lots of reasons, but we live in a society now where there's all this pressure to construct an identity. You used to get your identity from your family, from your parents, 
even to some degree from your, from your, uh, your ancestors. You used to get it that way. It just was kind of an inherited thing, right? Uh, especially Eastern cultures feel much more this way, where you're much more kind of tied in and connected to your tribe or your family or your, your history. But in the West, we've gone, hey, we're independent, we're free. But the, the burden of that is now we have to all construct an identity. We have to construct meaning. We don't get meaning handed down to us. We have to build it. And you have to build it through your career, and you have to build it through your family, and you have to build it through your social media network, and you have to build it through all of these different ways. And so therefore, it's incredibly fragile. I mentioned eighth graders. There's research that Gene Twenge has done that eighth graders who spend 10 plus hours a week on social media are 56% more likely to be unhappy than those who don't. Now you go 10 hours a week on social media, that feels like a lot. Okay, well, what if it's only six hours? They're still 47% more likely to say they're unhappy, right? So what is social media? Social media, it's a lot of different things, but one of it is saying, here's my identity, here's my identity, here's how I look, here's how I look, what do you think of me, what do you think of me, what do you think of me? And there's all this comparing, and there's all this critiquing, and it's all around trying to construct an identity for ourselves. Now, you may not be on social media, but you're still doing the same thing. You have a reputation, you have a brand. You have a way that people see you. And it's very, very important to us, and therefore it's very fragile. Because what if I, what if I fail? What if the in crowd that really cheers my identity all of a sudden turns on me and cancels me? What if I blow it? Here's what I love about what Jesus does, is Jesus defines who Peter will become. Look what he says, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This in the original language is a future verb, you will be called this, and it's a passive verb, meaning there's nothing you're going to do to get it. I'm giving you this new name. I don't think that he saw Peter come in and was like, man, that's the toughest guy I've ever seen. You see that tattoo, the rock, yeah, that's you, man. I think he was saying, Simon, son of John, I'm going to define who you are. I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm going to give you a new future. Some of you, you're not defined by what you're trying to become. You're defined by what you already have been, by the hurt you've experienced, by the loss you've experienced, by the mistakes you've made. Some of you, you are defined by your sexual sin. You're defined by your parenting failure. You're defined by that abortion. You're defined by the way you weren't loved the way you should have been. And what Jesus is saying to you is I'm gonna give you a new name. I'm gonna give you a new identity. I'm gonna give you a new future. I'm gonna give you a new hope. This is what God does. This is what God promises to do in the new covenant. Look at what it says in Isaiah chapter 62. It says this, the nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. 
For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Did you hear that? You're no longer termed forsaken. You're termed, my delight is in her if you're in Christ. This is the opportunity. This is the invitation that your past, which you can't change, and your future, which is fragile, those don't have to define you. Jesus can. Jesus can. He rejoices over you. Some of you just would go, I just, no, there's no way. There's no way that Jesus could rejoice over me. There's no way God could rejoice over me. Who are you to say that? The word of God declares to you that if you are his people, he sees you this way. How does he see you? Who are you in Christ? Well, listen to this list. If you're at trust Jesus, you are a child of God. You are a friend of Jesus. You are righteous and redeemed. You're a new creation. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're an heir of God. You're chosen, holy, and blameless. You're God's workmanship. You're a citizen of heaven, and you are loved by God. This is the opportunity for the people of God. This is the opportunity for us. You will be called beloved. Will you take that opportunity? Well, the next opportunity comes right in the very next verse. It's verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Follow me. Here's what I want you to seek, me. Here's what I want you to find, me. Here's what's going to give you that new identity, me. So follow me. That's what Jesus is saying. See, this is what it is to be a disciple. A lot of times we just get confused about what being a disciple is, what being a follower of Jesus is. It's just following, walking after Jesus. Notice, Jesus doesn't begin by saying, believe in me. He says, follow me. Now, you're not going to probably follow someone very long if you don't trust them, <laughs> which is why Jesus said, hey, come and see, come follow me. My, my life's open. I'll, let, I'll show you. I'll let you see. But here's what I'm asking. I want you to see like I see. I want you to think like I think. I want you to do what I do. I want you to love what I love. I want you to hate what I hate. I want my life to shape your life. This is the essence of this King Jesus 2020 prayer initiative, is really to say, as we decide what to do in politics, will we follow him? Some of you are like super into this stuff, and you really follow it, and it's really important, and all the news, and all the latest, and did you see, and oh my gosh, it just got even crazier, and it did. And some of you are like, oh my goodness, uncle, I just don't, I don't want to deal with it anymore. And wherever you are on that, we're not trying to get you to be more or less of one or the other. This is not some subtle attempt to get you to vote for Trump or to vote for Biden. This is an attempt for you to follow, for me to follow Jesus. To have his eyes and his heart shape how we live. In verse 44, it says, Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. It's interesting, just by the way, this is the second time that someone found Jesus through someone else saying, Hey, come with me. Hey, come check this out. That's how God continues to work. 
That's why we invite people. That's why we expose people to who Christ is. That's why we say, hey, why don't you come over? Why don't you come to my RC? Why don't you come to church? Why don't you come to this thing? Like, come, see, check this out. I think I found him. Verse 46, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I don't know if, the, if Nazareth was like Nathaniel's like high school football rival. I don't know what happened there, but anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there's no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So here Jesus kind of plays the, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit card. <laughs> I saw some stuff that's probably you didn't expect to see. He's blown away by this. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, and here's our last invitation. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Now, this is all a, a little bit odd to us, right? I mean, if you're just kind of reading this for the first time, you're going, wait a minute. So Jesus saw Nathaniel under a fig tree? What was he doing under there? I don't know. doesn't say. John apparently doesn't think we need to know. Wait, so J Jesus like knew what he was doing even though he wasn't there? Yeah, that's what happened. And he just put his hope and his faith in him? Yeah, that's what happened. But then here's what Jesus says. You're going to see even something greater. You're going to see heaven open. And this is the opportunity that we have even today to see the greatest thing of all, which is heaven meeting earth. See, that's what's being referenced here is it's a reference to Genesis 28. You can go read Genesis 28 at another time if you care to. And in Genesis 28, uh, Jacob is having a dream. And in this dream, Jacob's ladder, heaven meets earth. And that's what, that's what Jesus is saying. You'll see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of earth. See, here's what happens. If you see Jesus, you see he's the place where heaven meets earth. We'll see in chapter two that Jesus is the true temple. What was the temple? The temple was the place where heaven met earth. You'll see that Jesus will give his people his spirit and that we will then be called the temple. Why? Because if we're in Christ, we're the place where heaven meets earth. And we're going to see Jesus over and over through all of his signs, through all of his miracles, through all of the faith that people have in him, this, this preview of heaven meeting earth. This is just what we're going to see. This is what we as God's people get to see and experience all the time as we pray, as we look at a broken, shattered, unholy world, and we pray into it, and we're faithful in it, and we see God by his spirit answer. And heaven opens, and God meets us. And we realize that there is more to this life than just what we can see and touch. But that God is real, that he reigns, that he is Lord of all, and that he's working on our behalf. I had a, a friend and a, a mentor a couple months ago. As I was just processing all that was going on in the world and in my life. He said, you know what? He said, God is always doing two things in all of our lives. He's always interrupting us, and he's always inviting us. He's interrupting our plans, and he's inviting us. You're like, I get the first part. <laughs> yep, 2020 interruption. But what about the invitation? So let me ask you, what is the Lord inviting you into today? 
He's saying, what are you seeking? Come and you'll see. He's saying, I want to give you a new name. He's saying, follow me. And as you follow me, you'll see me do far more abundantly beyond all that you ask or think. This is what it is to follow Jesus. At any given point, he's asking us these questions. Will we follow him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Christ. Thank you for revealing him to us in the scriptures. And thank you for these opportunities, for these invitations. God, we want to seek you. We want to find you. We want to be defined by you. We want to follow you. And we want to see you work in this world in the ways that only you can. And so, Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. We receive this gift of your revelation. And we pray that it would change and transform us and allow us to follow you. In Jesus' name.